how great is it watching kids open presents at Christmas time? I absolutely love watching the expression on their faces just explode and they feel like they can't hold it in. I've got a two-year-old boy, his name's Jonah. Um, I've also got a daughter, Arietta, but, but she's not old enough to open presents. But Jonah... Jonah's just discovering what it is to open a present at Christmas time. And, and he just, when he's given a present, it's just like <gasps> this moment of awe and wonder just that he experiences. And he peels back the paper and finds something new in that. And it's just such a joyous moment. I wonder if you, I wonder if you have a memory of Christmas time, of receiving a present, of opening something and just having that same sense of awe and wonder. I remember when I was a young boy one Christmas time, I got a Game Boy Pocket with Super Mario. And and for me, that was this, like, if you don't know what that is, that's a, a, a video game. It's a very small little handheld video game. But I remember peeling back that paper and seeing the words down the side say Game Boy. And it was just like, oh, my goodness, as if this would happen to me. And... And just that experience that this is such a generous gift and it was so unexpected. I would, I would not have realized that. I wonder if you've got an experience of, of getting something new at Christmas time and feeling that sense of awe and wonder. And my hope is that this morning as we discover more of the Christmas story, that you might discover something new and that you, out of it something might resonate and you will also get a sense of awe and wonder out of this Christmas story. My hope is that you will find a missing piece this Christmas as we explore the story of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, this morning. And my hope is also that as you walk out of here this morning, like I have come to in exploring this story, you might walk out going, I'd like to be a bit more like Joseph this Christmas. So who was Joseph? Joseph was a a first century Jew from a region called Galilee. Um, And we'll see if I can get this working. Are we working? All right, I might just say next slide. We're having some technical difficulties today. Can we go to the next slide for you, Timmy? Great. Awesome. Anyway, uh, Joseph was from from Galilee, which is a a region in the Middle East near the the Mediterranean Sea, and it's a really important region. Um, And you can follow the story on chapter one, but let's go back a couple of pages first. There we go. That's the region. And, And he's from this region in Galilee, and it's a really important part of the world because it actually has this ancient trade route called the Via Maris, that actually links Africa to Asia and Europe. And if you were living in first century and you wanted to move between those places, you would move through this region. And so it was really politically volatile. Everybody wanted to control this region. And that's that's where Joseph was from. Joseph was also a Hebrew guy. He was a Jewish man. He was from a Hebrew tribe of the descendants of David, the descendants of King David, Now, King David was the greatest king the Jewish people ever had. He was an amazing ruler, and you probably know him from the story of David and Goliath. If we jump to the next slide, you've probably heard about the story of David and Goliath where this young boy came up and destroyed a giant. You see, in the eyes of the Jewish people, David was like their superhero. He was a powerful ruler, a powerful king, and he led the people through this wonderful season of uniting the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, And they were able to conquer this land that Galilee is a part of. 
David was a great ruler. But after he died, for David's people, things fell apart. Some of his descendants made some pretty dodgy decisions, which uh, led to really a succession of firstly the, the Assyrians and then the Babylonians and eventually the Roman Empire all invaded and conquered this land because they all wanted this land. And so we need to remember this history when we look at the story of Joseph because really we pick up the story in a scenario where Joseph has lived for a thousand, or he hasn't lived for a thousand years, Joseph's people have lived for a thousand years in this land under the rule of a different empire. And there would be a sense of shame and humiliation and defeat that would come with that. That actually Joseph and his people were supposed to have the God who is above all the other gods, who is stronger than all of the other gods, the God of King David, the God who wins, and yet they've been losing for a thousand years. And so we pick up the story of Joseph in that midst, and we have to remember that, that, that there's this weight of, of pressure on them that hang on, we've been oppressed here and we're not where we feel like we're supposed to be. We were supposed to be God's people and they're not. I think I heard somewhere that actually the Romans really didn't like the Galileans and they wanted them to know that the Romans were the most powerful so they imposed a tax that meant that they actually taxed 90% of their income. Can you imagine if you had to give up 90% of what you earned? to the Roman Empire, you would feel trampled on and squished. So we pick up this story and and Joseph is an 18 or 19 year old young man in Galilee and and he's engaged to a, a, a girl called Mary and Mary's probably only 12 or 13 years old because that was about the age that you got engaged back in first century Galilee. And he comes home to find some really sketchy news. He comes home and hears that Mary, his fiancée, is actually pregnant. Now, I'm sure that he would have some fundamental questions for Mary because, in a nutshell, and you can follow the story in in Matthew chapter 1, but the story in Matthew describes Joseph as a righteous man. And, And as a righteous man that sort of means that he's a kind of man of good reputation, that he would have good character in the community and the society, that people would see him and go, that's an upstanding citizen, the kind of person that I want to be like and I want my kids to be like. And so he would have followed the rules and traditions of the time, which would have meant that he wouldn't have slept with Mary yet because they were engaged and they weren't married. And I'm sorry for all the parents that might have to explain that when they go home today. But... They wouldn't have slept together yet, and which means that he would have had some questions like, how did this happen, Mary? And was somebody else involved here? And he'd be stuck with a question of what next? What do I do next? See, on one hand, there's the weight of expectation of culture and society. The weight of expectation of his people would say that he, he should drag her out into the public space and take her to the temple and accuse her of adultery. 
that would be the expectation of what he should do in that situation. And there in the temple, she would be accused and she would be uh, tried and found guilty of adultery. And they would strip her bare and they would stone her and probably even kill her. And it would be absolutely tragic. And that's one option. And that's what's expected of him. Because the other option is to actually deal with it quietly. And, and that people would actually talk about it behind their back and they wouldn't really know the details. But if he dealt with things quietly, that would come at a cost. Come at a cost to him because people would think maybe he had something to do with that. Maybe he was more dishonourable than we thought. Maybe his reputation isn't as squeaky clean as we imagine. And that would cost him in his standing in society. It would cost him in his business. He was a young up-and-coming furniture builder that people would want to have dealings with the righteous man, the righteous Joseph, but maybe not the, the guy who has no self-control. So he's got these options and it just all of a sudden seems really complex and messy. Does anyone else find Christmas complex sometimes? I think all it takes is to, to look at the, the brokenness of relationships that cause tensions within family and, and tensions within friends. Or maybe we look at the mixed families of, of juggling who goes where and when and what's fair. Or maybe it's the plans that we, we make to deal with the, the epic amount of stuff we have to get done for Christmas, but then at the last moment all of our plans fall apart and stress levels go from 1 to 10 and it's just like... Messy and complex. Or maybe it's just the crazy busyness that we put ourselves through every year for the four weeks leading up to Christmas. You see, Christmas is great and has some great moments of, of unwrapping and discovering awe and wonder, but it also can be really complex. And Joseph find him, finds himself in the midst of this complexity. His future wife is pregnant And he's got the weight of this history weighing him down, saying, you keep failing, you keep losing. And he's got this urgency to try and uphold his reputation and uphold his family and his people's reputation. I am a descendant of David. I need to uphold that. And life got all complex. But he loves her. And I think that's where this story starts to resonate with us. Joseph loves Mary. He's compassionate towards Mary. He's able to see the complexity in his own life, but even more so, he's able to see the complexity in hers. Here is a 12 or 13-year-old young girl, powerless, who's now pregnant, voiceless in their society, who is now alone and her life could be threatened by this. And he loves her amidst the complexity. So he makes a sacrifice. He makes the choice. He takes it on himself. He takes the hit and goes, actually, I'm going to cop it on my reputation. I'm going to let this go quietly. And it's kind of like a divorce, really, in in their culture. When you're engaged and you want to finish it, that's kind of like a a divorce. So he he decides to cancel the engagement and divorce her quietly. 
He lets the people talk about him behind his back. He lets his reputation be dragged through the mud in order to show compassion. He makes room for compassion amongst the complexity of his life. Have you ever risked your reputation to show compassion? I don't think it's as easy as it sounds. I remember growing up, I used to take the public school bus to and from school. I was one of the kids that would be rushing up after class to try and jump on that school bus to head home. And there's no more, no greater place than the school bus, I think, for a wrestle of power and oppression where you're wrestling for who's the top dog on the bus. And I remember on our school bus, there seemed to be this perpetuating cycle where the older kids, and I can see some teenagers smiling and giggling and laughing already, but there used to be this cycle where the, the older kids used to be in charge and the younger kids just had to do what was told. And, and I remember arriving in this as a young boy, as a year seven or eight boy, uh, and looking up the back of the bus and going, wow, those VCE kids are scary. I wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of them. And I remember sitting there and copying the insults and, and sometimes copying the chicken sandwiches that get thrown up the front. And, and then sometimes it's actually, I remember sitting in a seat and having an older boy come up and say, you're in my seat. And if you resisted them, they would make sure that you vacated that seat and they'd make sure that you felt like you would never do that again. And there's this wrestle for power. But then it's a crazy cycle because a few years later, there I am, I'm in VCE. And I'm one of the older kids. And it all of a sudden gets complex and difficult because my peers have been squashed for years at the front. They've been powerless and oppressed. And now they have a sense of power and they feel like, actually, we're going to use this. I remember specifically there was one boy who was only year seven or eight who would come on the bus and he was just so full of life. He was so full of joy and and he'd come on and he'd bounce around and be bubbly. And for some reason that grated against my friends and they took it on themselves that it would be their mission to make sure that that boy knew who was boss that that boy knew who was powerful in the bus and, and they'd perpetuate the cycle of hurling insults and, and, and dragging off seats and, and, and letting him know who's in charge. And, and there I am in the bus watching this happen and holding some compa- compassion for that boy. But if I was to stand up, it would come at great cost to my reputation. It would come at great cost because I would be actually depriving them of what they see as their fun. And it could actually, maybe it wouldn't work either. And so I sat there, afraid of what they would think, and did nothing for two years of VCE. I wish I was a bit more like Joseph in those times. I wish I was able to boldly, boldly chase after and fight for compassion and not let fear get in the road. Not let fear stop me from, from living that life and, and being that example. Looking back, I, I probably wish that I was a bit more like Joseph. Joseph's story goes on from there and, and after he decides to end things quietly and at a cost, 
He ends things quiet, he goes to end things quietly with Mary, but before he does, an angel visits him in a dream, and the angel says some pretty powerful things. Firstly, the angel says, Joseph, and it probably sounded, Joseph, son of God, sorry, not son of God, son of David. And, and those words immediately are more profound the more that we look into this story, that actually, Here's Joseph in the complexity of life, in the weight of oppression, taking a hit to his reputation, feeling so far from that King David that he could possibly be. And yet this angel speaks into that and calls him who he is. You are a son of David. It's through your family that I'm going to make this, this life for your Jewish people lifted out of, of, of oppression. And so he calls him and, and immediately Joseph's ears pick up and he goes on and he says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Firstly, he acknowledges that fear is so often the thing that gets in our road of showing compassion. And then he goes on boldly enough to suggest you need to take Mary as your wife. Now, he was okay to end things quietly. He was okay to say, okay, I can sort of let it go and I'll take a bit of a cop and people might talk about me behind my back. But to take her as my wife, no, 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 that's a bigger step. That's actually, people will insult me to my face. People will actually take the next level of dropping my reputation in society. Whoa, that's a hard thing to do. So the angel goes on to describe that actually... Mary is pregnant because of the work of the Holy Spirit or the work of God in her. And that this is actually a fulfillment of prophecies or or, or messages from God told in the past of how God's going to lift these people up out of oppression. In other words, God's got a bigger plan. And for those of you who were here last week, Ali really extrapolated and pulled out that whole bigger plan thing. And if you missed it, go back and listen to the podcast online. God's got a bigger plan. And in the sight of that bigger plan, I need you to move forward and take that next step in compassion. God's got a bigger plan where, where kindness and compassion, love and mercy reign in the world. That's his plan. Wouldn't you want to be a part of that world? Joseph does. And so he marries her. He marries her and he leads their family through this next phase of life of, of uh, running away from the authorities and, and making a way for Jesus to come into the world and eventually for Jesus to, uh, to start something new and amazing and awe-inspiring and wonderful that transforms our world for the better. But that's a story for another day. The Christmas story, this Christmas story, is not like most stories of history. Most stories of history are told by the powerful, the mighty, the rulers, the people reflecting back on how amazing their achievements were. No, this story is different. This story is told by the oppressed, the poor, the lowly, the broken, the complex, This Christmas story is a story of a God who is on the side of the oppressed and the poor. A God who is on the side of the immigrant, the refugee, the single mother. The, 
this story is the story of a God who is on the side of anyone who has the foot of an empire on their neck. And so if you want to find the missing piece this Christmas, we need to stop and look around us. We need to stop and look for the people who are kicked to the edges of our society. The people who the systems of our world are failing and they're being left out. The vulnerable. And then go. Go and sit with them. Go and share with them. Join them. Serve them and give to them. Because that's where the action is. Because that's where the missing piece is this Christmas. You see, I think there's this this song that's being played in the fabric of our society that when we see this compassion and love and kindness being shown in the story of Joseph, something resonates inside of us and we like it and we like this song. You see, the Christmas story is a story of birth of birthing something new. And so this Christmas, I hope that we might be able to discover this new way of life that despite the complexity of our lives, we can fearlessly push in with compassion. And that that's a way of life that we can resonate with and find a missing piece. So wherever you are this morning, my prayer for you is that something might be birthed in you, even maybe where you're sitting right here and right now. That something might begin to shift and that a peace might fall into place. Maybe that's a, a new hope in your complexity. Maybe it's a new compassion for someone where you might walk out of here going, actually, I'm going to share my life with that person and be compassionate with them despite my complexity or in, in, even in amongst my complexity of my, my life. Or maybe the new thing that births in you this morning is just an awareness, and I'll get Mark to come up, and um, is an awareness of this song that is playing and written through the fabric of our world, that is woven, that resonates with us, that is a song of kindness and compassion, that my prayer for you is that you might grow in an awareness of that and as a result you say, as you leave from here, I can play that song. I can play that song because that is good. Thanks, Mark.